Well, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the second week of our series, The Pursuit of Happiness. It's based on a book by a pastor. He's a friend of mine. His name is Matt Miofsky, and his book is called Happy. What is it and how to find it? Last week, we looked at the things we try and pursue that we think will make us happy. We looked at finding our value in our work or in, in the things we accumulate, finding value in stuff or finding happiness and pleasure and how all of those things fall short and that we should invest in people, in relationships, not things in order to find happiness. And we're gonna kind of build on that theme this week as we look at what it takes to make a healthy relationship. You know, I think most relationships start off probably good or, or at worst neutral. I don't know a lot of people who, who say, oh, I can't wait to sabotage this relationship like <laughs> right away. Yeah, but, but at some point things start to slip a little bit. So I, I brought a picture of Sarah and I around the time we started dating. Check out the long hair. In college, I figured, oh, hey, I could save money just by not getting a haircut. So uh, I had to condition, it was a whole thing. Um, uh, but man, when we first started dating, and I may or may not, like, I didn't date a lot, so I really wanted to not blow this one. Uh, really pulled out all the stops. We, our first date was a, Christ, a concert by a Christian band called Reliant K. I don't know if you've heard of them. If you, went, if you were in youth group in the late 90s, you heard of them. And so we were going to a concert, and I think back on that time very fondly. Um, you know, after, we, after I paid for tickets and gas, the old college budget wasn't a lot, so uh, we got McDonald's drive through on the way to our concert. Uh, very romantic. So on the way to the concert, I knew we'd have some time in the car, right? So I planned a couple funny anecdotes I could talk about. I had all these questions I was going to ask Sarah. Like, I had a plan. I, you know, my hair was looking good. My cologne game was strong. I was prepared, right? Because you want to put your best foot forward here. And by the way, if, if you're ever on a first date and you're worried about what to talk about, just ask the other person questions about themselves. Right? Like most people don't mind making themselves the subject. Now you might think, well, why would I take relationship advice from Adam or dating advice from Adam? Turned out pretty well for me, so I may know something, right? So on, on, on that first date, kind of you're putting out your best impression, your five stars, your 10 for 10, you're going all out. But eventually things start to slip. Like no one can keep up that pace forever. Like a fifth date probably looks a little different than a first date. And you've learned a whole lot more about each other. At some point in any type of relationship, much more than just romantic here, someone is going to make somebody mad. And most of the time we try and move past it or we tolerate it. We don't want to make anything a big deal. But, but what if that thing happens again in, in another time? Well, then it becomes part of a pattern. And, and we have this realization like, oh, this, this person has issues. Now, as a pastor trying to give a sermon about forgiveness, I've got an interesting threshold I'm trying to maintain here because I can't sit here for a variety of reasons. I don't want to air my dirty laundry to you and the entire internet, right? But the thing I thought of that was kind of hokey but safe to share would be, I'm convinced, Sarah won't admit to this, but I am convinced that she withheld the fact, that she concealed the fact that she didn't like pizza until after we were married. That was something I discovered later. And had I known that earlier, it would have been a problem. We would have had to address, but it was too late. So we all know we're talking about a lot more than your pizza preferences here, right? People have a set of unsolvable problems that they bring into any relationship, 
And the more self-aware we are, the more mature we are as a Christian, we also realize that we are bringing a set of unsolvable problems into any relationship. I love how Matt put it in his book. At some point you realize that, wait a second, I have issues too. So now there's not just your issues, but my issues. And now all of a sudden we have issues. We have a name for those issues. It's called sin. And, and for the most part today, we're going to be focusing on how do we forgive the sin that's been done to us. Sin is, the, the word that we say in English, sin, comes from a Greek word, hamartia. And it's a term from archery. It means to miss the mark. So God created people for relationships, both with him and with each other. And whenever we behave in such a way or, or think in such a way that is not in line with God's goodwill, with, with, with God's ideal for us, we are missing the mark. We're off target. We've sinned. And there's no shortage of ways to do this. Sometimes we can think of sins of commission. These are things we do that, 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 that we should not do. And other times there's sins of omission. Good things that God would have for us, but things that are left undone. Again, we could make a long list of this stuff. I don't think you need me to do that for you. Sin is a relationship wrecker. It'll eventually affect every relationship in your life, including our relationship with God. And so if we want healthy relationships, we need to understand how to practice forgiveness. Sin is a relationship wrecker, but forgiveness is the pathway to healing and happiness. In many ways, you could view the entire Bible as God's process of healing our broken relationships through forgiveness. For most of my adult life, I, for 10 years, I didn't have a relationship with my mom. Now again, I'm not trying to dishonor anybody in my family, but I just want you to know that this is a subject on which I have learned a lot, sometimes gloriously and oftentimes painfully. And so I'm just trying to pass along what's been given to me. God worked through that scenario in my family and brought us to a place of forgiveness and reconciliation. I don't know a more universal or important topic. I imagine we all have spots in our life or we're at a crossroads and we need forgiveness. But I also wanna offer a caution just right up front. I think a lot of times as Christians, we, we can use cliches, and I'm gonna talk about this in a second, a cliche like forgive and forget. Or, or we think, oh, well, whatever's been done to you, you just need to get over it, in, like in Jesus' name. And we're gonna explore these things, but particularly when it comes to, if you are in an abusive relationship, I don't want you to think that your pastor or your church is telling you, don't worry about it. We're not saying to forgive and forget and baptize it in Jesus' name. That is not what we intend or what we mean. If you are experiencing abuse, please reach out to one of our pastors and we can put you in touch with resources. Because forgiveness does not mean pretending nothing ever happened. And forgiveness does not mean that actions don't have consequences. Dictionary.com's second definition of forgiveness means to give up all claim on account of or to remit. So how I would state that is forgiveness is releasing your right to retribution. When someone has really made you mad, someone has really hurt you, has, has, someone has really caused you suffering, are you like me and you have an instinct to make that person suffer equally or more than they made you suffer? 
I think it's in our nature to want to see someone punished for what they've done to us, how they've hurt us, even if that punishment only exists in our own minds. Forgiveness is releasing your right to revenge, to payback, or to retribution. And so I don't like the flippant cliche, forgive and forget, because I think that does a disservice to the actual cost of forgiveness. Forgiveness comes at a great cost. And, and so just saying, forget about it. I, we forgive not because nothing ever happened. We forgive in spite of what happened. So for me, forgive and forget, that's out. We shouldn't gloss over how much courage and grace it takes to forgive someone. And there is a high cost of forgiveness of letting go of your right for payback, for retribution. But there's also probably an even higher cost to not forgiving. It's very sad to me, and I've been in this situation. I've, been, I've done this before. When, when people just kind of recount or relive or retell the story of the drama or, or whatever bad thing someone did to them years and years ago, when you don't forgive someone, they continue to torment you. As long as we're unforgiving, we are not on a healing path to happiness because those relationships remain strained. I love what Matt said in his book. We often overestimate the cost of dealing with a difficult situation and underestimate the cost of not dealing with it. So what keeps us from dealing with these unhealthy relationships? Today, I would point out to you, we could probably make a long list, but I would offer you two obstacles to forgiveness. And the first is fear. Jesus spoke often about forgiveness and we have the good fortune of, of having some of his conversations recorded in the scriptures. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever you were in school, uh, maybe you're like me, I always liked when someone would kind of put their hand in the air and ask a question that I was wondering too, and they could kind of take the heat, right? That's kind of how I view us looking at conversations between Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus in Matthew 18 was preaching about forgiveness, and then his star student, Peter, put his hand in the air, and he came to Jesus and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? I think Peter's being pretty generous here, right? And we'll get to the answer in a sec. Let's go back to his question in, uh, in verse 20, right? When he says, how often should I forgive? As many as seven? Like we've heard of three strikes and you're out, right? Well, this is twice that and add one. I think that's pretty generous, some of us, maybe either personally or know someone who's a one strike and you're out kind of person. So seven would be a lot. And in Jesus' response, I, I think he, I wouldn't say he puts Peter in his place, but Jesus is demonstrating the high call to forgiveness. This is how Jesus responds. Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. Now, I think this is kind of a moment where we can appreciate that Jesus had a sense of humor. Right, he, this is, uh, he's exaggerating, right? Because I, I don't think we should sit here and think, okay, Jesus means on offense number 78, that person's finally out. Now they've, they've gone, done it. Now you're, now you're done. No, Jesus' answer is essentially infinity. We should offer forgiveness an endless amount of times. Now, maybe you're like me and you identify with Peter. Whoa, how long should I keep forgiving here? Because what if I get hurt again? 
What, what, if, what if I forgive this person and it looks like I'm condoning their behavior? These are fears we have and they are legitimate. But friends, let's not confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. See, forgiveness only takes one party. It only takes you to give up the opportunity or the desire for payback, to release your right to retribution. That's much different than reconciliation, which takes two parties that agree to right what was wrong. I think it'd be pretty hard to reconcile with somebody who doesn't think they did anything wrong. I'll say it again for the folks at home. I think it'd be pretty hard to reconcile with someone who doesn't think they did anything wrong. Forgiving someone doesn't mean you make yourself vulnerable to the same toxic behavior. Forgiving someone means releasing your desire to make them as miserable as they made you. And Jesus says we should offer this endlessly. Forgiveness is releasing a burden, not signing up to carry another one. And often that burden we carry around in unforgiveness is anger. This is the second obstacle to forgiveness, anger. You probably have several excellent reasons to be angry for different scenarios in your life. Um, Some of you will get this intuitively. If not, don't worry about it. As an eight on the Enneagram, anger is what I do. I mean, I have to remind myself that spite is not a spiritual gift, right? Anger is usually our response to hurt. Anger is a sign that something isn't right. And and sometimes even, if you're like me, even the smallest slight can kind of raise up that anger. (laughs) What's uh, What's the movie? Oh my gosh, joy, anger, about the the little girl's mind. Inside out, thank you. Thanks for bailing me out, not in the notes. Remember anger, he was the red guy and at the slightest offense, he would would literally ignite. And so some of us, that's, that's how we behave. But I don't think I'd wanna be described as an angry person. The book of James tells us that we should be slow to become angry. I like that. Anger is always best, I've found, when it's on behalf of someone else, when you're angry in your advocation of another. Now, anger isn't automatically a bad thing, but it's what we do with it that makes the difference. The Bible tells us to deal with anger quickly and decisively. This is from Ephesians 4. So then, putting away all falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. When we withhold forgiveness, that anger grows more and more intense until it puts down roots. Anger is our solution to hurt. Forgiveness is God's solution to hurt. And at some point, we gotta give up our solution and try God's. At this point, I'll quote my dad who used to quote Dr. Phil. You know, when it comes to anger and unforgiveness, How's that working out for us, right? Last week, we talked about Jesus' command to love God and to love ourselves and to love our neighbors. These are the relationships that we have to tend to. These are the places where we have to learn how to forgive in order to maintain a relationship that can lead to happiness. And there's a connection between experiencing forgiveness from God and and an ability to offer that forgiveness to others. Once Jesus was paid an immense honor by a woman who was seen as as a a certain type of way in her community. 
And there were critics of Jesus who, who would blame him or would criticize him for the type of company he kept. And they couldn't believe that he would have these dealings or receive uh, such honor from someone with so many rough edges. And this is what Jesus said to them. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven. Hence, she has shown great love, but the one to whom little is forgiven loves little. You know, we may be able to conceal our, our issues of unforgiveness from family members or friends or coworkers, but, but who can hide from God? And yet God loves us anyway. A lot of people's conception of God, even when you've been a Christian a long time, is, is, is kind of this equation where you, you, even though you've heard that we're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, there's, there's still this concept of, well, I want to outdo the bad I do with the good I do so that God will love me instead of punish me. Jesus showed up to correct this understanding. God wants us to experience his forgiveness, especially when our sins are many. Now, some of us can't understand how an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God would forgive us because we can't forgive ourselves. I think we're afraid sometimes. That fear creeps back in of, of what God's forgiveness and acceptance might mean. It means we're gonna have to change because God's not gonna leave us the way that God found us. You know, and it's kind of this self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, if I don't forgive myself, I can keep repeating the same self-destructive and self-loathing behavior or, or that it's somehow safer to keep punishing myself and not forgive myself rather than risk something new God might have for me in our relationship. But scripture describes the way God sees us. This is from Romans 8. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption when we cry, Abba, Father. So if God accepts us and forgives us as any good parent does the child they love, surely we can forgive and accept ourselves. Friends, we're not just the sum of our issues. We are beloved children of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he suffered the punishment for sin, death. And when he was resurrected three days later, he promised the same reward for all those who would put their faith in him and accept God's forgiveness through his work on the cross and through the resurrection. Friends, those who have been forgiven much love much. And that includes loving and forgiving yourself. So once we have experienced this freeing forgiveness that our faith in God gives us, friends, we're then called to offer the same to others, to offer other people the forgiveness we've been shown. And I gotta be honest, this Matthew 18 chapter, when Peter talks about, well, how many times should I forgive? I, at my worst moments, and even at my medium moments, I find Jesus' response a bit annoying. This is a hard thing to do. Jesus goes on to tell a story about someone who was forgiven a large debt and then goes and has somebody else thrown in jail for a laughably small debt comparably. And he goes on to illustrate how we should treat one another. We even prayed about it, right? Every week when we say the Lord's Prayer, God help me forgive other people, forgive other folks their trespasses as, you for, as we forgive those who trespass against us. God forgive me and help me to forgive other people. 
We've got to be careful what we say in church. This is hard to do. The standard for us forgiving others is how God has forgiven us through the work of Christ. Again, we go to Ephesians 4. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's a lot easier for me to stand up here and to read these words than it is to actually do them. This is, a, this is an intense subject. And, and I'm going to talk about a couple things now that are just pretty intense. Because there are times when forgiveness seems so impossible that it can only be done with the grace that God supplies. June 17th, 2015, a young man attended a Bible study at Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He opened fire, killing nine people and injuring more, all black, including Pastor Clementa Pinckney. The AME Church, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, was started in the 19th century because the Methodist Church wouldn't allow black people to worship. And now centuries later, this young man targeted this location and these victims because of their race. This is an article from Yahoo News on June 19, 2015. Relatives of the Charleston church shooting victims gave emotional statements during the killer's initial court appearance Friday, some of them breaking into sobs as one after another, they told the man suspected of killing their loved ones that they forgive him. He took something really precious from me. I will never talk to her again. The daughter of 70-year-old Ethel Lance, one of nine people killed in Wednesday's massacre, said, but I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but God forgives you. I forgive you. These folks possess a strength in a faith that I'm not sure I have. I don't know if I could do that. 14 years ago, a friend of mine named Tyler was driving on I-70 and he was killed in a car accident when someone with chemicals in their bloodstream was driving the wrong way on I-70 and hit him head on. I've told this story in a sermon before, but the day I read about Tyler's dad in, in, in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, I, I made a little promise to myself that day that whenever I got the opportunity that I would share Tyler's dad's witness. Months after the accident happened, I came, just randomly was on the Post-Dispatch website and saw a story about a wrong way I-70 death uh, sentencing. And sure enough, it was, it was my friend's case. Steve, my friend Tyler's dad, had some quotes in the article. This is what it said. Stephen Downey, choking back tears as he spoke, described his son as someone who volunteered in inner city neighborhoods and foreign countries and helped victims of Hurricane Katrina on various mission trips. Stephen Downey said he spoke for his son and other victims in court, and he also wanted to speak for Jesus Christ. As his representative, I want to forgive Calvin 
and tell him with Jesus in his life, he can make better decisions. I aspire to be like Stephen Downey. I aspire to be like Ethel Lance's daughter. To be so full of faith in God's love that you have the capacity to release the right to maximize the suffering of your family's killer. I don't, I'm not sure I could do it. A powerful, amazing witness. This is intense. And I'm sure that each of us have experienced intense hurt at the hands of someone else. But sometimes it's, it's, it's tempting to look at these extreme, intense cases and, and people who have shown grace under the worst circumstances and, and kind of dismiss yourself because your deal is a lot differently than that. So I would offer you this. If you can't sit here and say you can offer forgiveness, I'm betting you have several excellent reasons to feel that way. Like, I understand if you don't want to forgive. And and friends, part of the reason that I put my little forgiveness resume out there is because I understand deeply that this is not a process for most of us that happens overnight. But I would challenge you with this. Even if you don't right now want to forgive someone, can you want to want to someday? Now, I hope this is not confusing. I tried to bold a word to somehow make it make sense. Even if you don't have the desire to forgive someone who has harmed you, even if right now you can't feel like you want to release that right to retribution, can you want to want to one day? Friends, I would call that progress. I'd celebrate that. I really would. That even if you don't feel it sincerely, even if you can't will your way to it now, in this moment, can you want to want to someday? Because that is where Christ calls us. Easier to preach about than to do, believe me. But I think even the transformation of our desire to want to do this one day is progress. So as someone who joins you in the struggle of forgiveness, I would celebrate that. I would. What I would invite you to do for no one else's sake but your own is to release that burden of retribution. Friends, your pain, your fear, and your anger, they cannot heal you. Only the grace of God through the forgiveness of of Christ our Lord can put us back on the path to healing and happiness, forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven us. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Oh, it's good to hear you guys. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together. Whether we're here in person or online or we'll experience this worship service at some other time. We thank you for the challenging and encouraging way that your word speaks to us. 
God, this call to forgiveness is hard. It, 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 honestly, it's, it's annoying. And that you've called us to do the hard work of following the example of your son who forgave freely and loved much. God, I don't know what we all brought in with us today, but I know that you do. So in this moment, give us the desire to release our firm grip on payback, on revenge, on seeing someone be as miserable as they have made us. We release that to you and in its place, remind us of the great forgiveness and love for which you sent your son for our sake. And by his example and by his presence and power in our lives through your Holy Spirit, let us begin that journey or continue that long journey to forgive. Thank you for the witness of the families in Charleston. Thank you for the witness of Stephen Downey. Thank you for sending your son who showed us what forgiveness is. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.